This is MuggleCast, episode 3, for August 21st, 2005. If you haven't finished reading Half-Blood Prince yet, and you don't want to be spoiled, stop this podcast. Hello everybody, welcome back to MuggleCast, I'm Ben Shane. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Jamie Lawrence. And I'm Eric Skull. In case you guys didn't notice, Kevin Steck is missing in action this week. Poor guy sort of has his priorities mixed up. He flew out to Washington to see the Dave Matthews Band. But never fear, this week we're joined by two senior staff members from MuggleNet.com. Both have been here nearly three years. Jamie Lawrence from Great Britain and Eric Skold is joining us from Reading, Pennsylvania. How are you guys doing? I'm good night. Awesome. How about, how about you, Eric? Doing great, thanks. This past week, we've seen we've seen quite a few clips from the new movie Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. We've seen sort of an international tr- teaser trailer been released, and the movie actually looks like it's shaping up to be something good. Andrew Sims, what do you think about it? Well, I think this international trailer really builds on the teaser trailer that we've already seen that was released here in the States. And this one, it, it really shows that the artistic uh, ability of uh, Alfonso, the director of Prisoner of Azkaban, really rubbed off onto Mike Newell, and we're seeing a lot of, a lot more action. Um, it's very intense, as you can see from the trailer, and this is just looking to be one of the best movies. Jamie, do you have something to say about that? I was going to say it's very clear. It has a fantasy feel to it. Looks kind of reminiscent of Lord of the Rings, and I think they've. Uh found some inspiration there and it it shows the darker aspect of the series if you fast forward to 32 seconds it has a very battle type of feel to it with sides of good and evil things like that and i just hope this is all going to be continued into order of the phoenix and the half-blood prince because it's clear that the books are taking a much darker turn and i think it's time for the series for the films to catch up with that yeah i completely agree with both of you guys um in episode one i brought up the fact that i didn't like the way that the characters were looking like in, in some of the pictures that we had seen but from from the clips we've seen and the, actually seeing the characters in action i think the movie is going to shape up to be the best one yet in the series of movies that we've seen so far Eric Skoll, do you have anything to say? Uh, yes, actually, I think, um, I definitely agree with what all of you were saying. I know Ben was saying how, uh, at the beginning it didn't, didn't seem like, well, it's shaping up to be something nice. I think it, it really has been since the start. Um, I mean, I've always been positive. Of course, there were, you know, some controversy about, uh, Fleur looking too young or something and, and, you know, that kind of thing, um, but I, I know I think it's it's going to be a great movie, and I, I love what Jamie's saying about it being darker, and it's it's time for the the series to to turn like that. I, I think so, um, think so too. And also what um, what Andrew was saying um, about uh, t- kind of taking off of Alfonso's artistic, um, you know, his creativity with that. I, I just think it's great. It's a culmination of the two different directors that we've had so far, um, a movie in itself, uh, even better special effects. You know, the Hungarian Hotel. Uh, the Triwizard Tournament. It's just going to be a great movie, and I'm very pleased with all the all the uh, media we're getting and all the uh, all the uh, definitely the trailers and things. What you were saying first of all, Eric, about the uh, series being a lot lot smoother at the beginning. I think that's right because um, uh, the book Chamber of Secrets, the Basilisk, 
every single person who who uh, who saw it got petrified. Nobody died. And, and I think at that time it sort of gave people a false sense of security. You know, you saw it and you thought, well, no, I don't think at this point anybody's going to die in these books. But obviously, in Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, Half Blood Prince, that all changes, and and that sense of security that you've had in the first few films is just gone. And that's also changed with the change of director as well. You've you've had Columbus, who has put forward a very sort of fantasy fairy tale type thing which isn't a bad thing because you know those three are more children's films whereas uh alfonso and mike you know they're trying to they're trying to darken the movies to tie in with a complete change in the books you said you mentioned how chris columbus put a very uh his he had a fantasy touch onto it um but it seemed to me that he did sorcerer's stone and chamber of secrets and both of those it was it was very like I hate to say childish, because in a way it was, but I mean, the actors were younger than it wasn't as dark, but I think that with these new directors, they want to put a darker spin onto it. But then you have to see with the the first two movies is that the kids were 11 and 12 years old, so the movies didn't need to be as dark as they're made out to be, because they were Right, well, that's what I mean. Yeah. But just the difference between Columbus and then... Uh, Alfonso, it was just such a huge difference in how the movies were made. For one, uh, Alfonso, he totally dressed them down, the actors. They didn't wear their cloaks all the time. They walked around right. in, you know, your typical clothing. And he made it a lot more a lot more serious, I think. Not Jamie, as magical. What do you th- Jamie, what do you think about the direction the movie as the movies have been going in, from the change to, from director to director? I think it's uh, I think it's important to get a range of directors. I think that uh, Chris Columbus in the first three certainly put his own personal touch onto it. And they while while Andrew said that he he doesn't want to use the word childish, I agree because they they aren't childish films in the in the slightest. They uh it did have a much more relaxed feel about it. But but I think it's also it's also important to remember that these films are totally different from the books, and you can't really have complaints that they don't follow the books perfectly, because. You know, it's a totally different series in, in effect. But I think that the change of director has been very important in moving the series along as a as a septology. Eric Skoll, what are your thoughts? Um, once again, um, anything I I wanted to say has pretty much been said very fantastically by Jamie. He's he's gone in there and and, and done it for me. But I, I think I I'm really I'm getting tired of of people. I mean, I, I'm glad you chose not to use the word childish because I, I for one, you know, I do like the the first few movies, and I I, I do love. I I don't think they're childish at all either. And I mean, yeah, in comparison with three, they're not, you know, as adult. But when the movies came out, we were just as shocked, just as you know, in suspense as you know. And the, and the whole scene in the in the forest in Chamber of Secrets was was perfect for that that line. Why couldn't it be follow the butterflies? I mean, it was. It was great. It was dark. It was intense. It was very nice, and it was great. And then Alfonso came out with um, with Prisoner of Azkaban, which was you know fine in itself, and and as Jamie says, is a completely new, different series. So it was a much different movie than than what we might have expected. But it gave a darker tone uh, to the, to the movies, which we did need. And you know, I I still like the original movies, and I I do like, and I I think once again, I I think Goblet of Fire would probably be the best movie so far. I agree with you. Uh, I think that the the dark direction that has started in Prisoner of Azkaban and is sort of flowed out into Goblet of Fire, that's going to have to continue throughout all the books now. Where, where I think whereas Chris Columbus uh, could sort of start the films and then try and, and and have them continue how he wants them now, it's it's reached a point in the series where everything has got to be dark. 
I think we all can agree that each director has pretty much brought their own personality and their own point of view to each movie. And I think that each movie has turned out pretty well, and that the movies are going to, as Jamie said, they're going to continue to progress and get darker and darker, perhaps until we have the final duel between Lord Voldemort and Harry in the last movie. But we have t plenty of other topics to get to today. Um, <coughs> users, many fans have sent, sent in some topics for discussion. The first thing I'd like to discuss is that Turning books five and six in the films are going to be is going to be quite difficult because especially in book six we've seen a lot of Harry going back in time and Harry going forward in time and just the whole concept of time has been very difficult. Jamie, what do you think? I've always thought that books five and six had a more personal feel to them. I, I, don't, I don't know if this is whether if everyone else has thought this as well or it's just me, but I think Harry's situation has become where you have to, you have to have experienced what he's experienced to be in the situation that he's been in. You have to, you know, he, he's got all this anger to, to, towards Voldemort and now Snape, of course, and, the, and it's going to be very hard to portray those, to portray those emotions and his character as a whole in the next film. And, I mean, I'm sure that Dan's up to the task, but it's, it's going to be very hard. Eric, I know you've been in a lot of plays and things of that sort, and you're into video editing and things like that. So how do you think, like, how, how do you think you'll be able to turn these 800-page novels into a two-and-a-half-hour movie? Well, of course, there's there's many things <laughs> there's many things to address um, when when getting into that. I mean, I, I'd like to you know t talk about all of them uh, briefly here. Um, one of the things is, d does it have to be uh, a two and a half hour movie? I you know, POA was was how how long was the Prisoner of Azkaban movie? It was quite it, short, wasn't it? It was two and a half or so. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, no, still, I mean, just Lord of the Rings even was, was more than three hours, and, I think, and, and the extended edition, of course, was, was quite a lot more. And I don't know, exactly understand, I mean, Warner Brothers' hesitation. They, they say why they won't make it, at, you know, any longer movie, but at the same time, I, I think people would still go see it no matter how long it was. And I think I, we're at a point where, I mean, I, I suppose they could have pulled off Gabble to Fire quite well um, from what, what we're getting with uh, fan reviews and things that they, they scrunched up quite nicely. Um, but as the books progress... Well, what I think the get... issue is is that with book five is that they could make it a four-hour movie or whatever, but the, the problem comes in is that we have to look at the target audience that Warner Brothers is trying to target, which is the, like the younger kids, the kids that like to read the books and things like that. So they're going to have a difficult time making a four-hour movie and have parents bring their little kids to come sit through four hours. Personally, what I think they should do is they should make a theater version and then like with Lord of the Rings, make an extended edition for the die-hard die Harry Potter fans to watch. Andrew, I what do you agree. think? Do you mean then release both of them in theaters or just put out the shorter one in theaters and then make the longer one on DVD? The, like, the longer one on DVD, like after yeah. it's been released in theaters, put it on DVD. Okay, well, yeah, I think that would be a good idea. But I think the issue here is that it might be a time thing or it, WB, I don't think they would realize that, say... Maybe maybe like four hours, even four hours is, is a little extreme. But even say they made it like a three and a half hour movie for Goblet of Fire, or not Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, or Half-Blood Prince, people would sit through it. The, the, the fans would. But that's the issue, like you said. The kids, the little kids and their parents wouldn't want to sit through three and a half hours, especially if the parents aren't all that into Harry Potter. 
it's always going to be a very debatable topic of whether a parent wants to take their kids to sit through a four and a half hour movie. The kid is most likely going to fall asleep and things of that sort. But Eric, what do you think? No, I think I think no. Ben, I I, I mean yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But no, okay. Um, parents will take their kids to see you know a four-hour movie, even if it's not a four-hour movie. I think they would because these are the kind of parents that spend nights and weeks and months reading to their kids before bedtime. I know. I mean, just my dentist uh, as talks to me of how they're they're going through like a chapter at a time every night with with their children, and you know they spend a whole month reading this book to their kids who love it. You know, I I, I think they probably wouldn't mind spending that much time in the theater with their kids, and if the kids fall asleep, they can find. I mean, <laughs> really, with film in theaters, it doesn't matter how long the final film is um there can be intermissions as many intermissions as you want you know end of reel go out and 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 do your stuff come back you know and and, i mean but yes i think there should be a i I have to be realistic i think there should be a theater version and a film version and film version can be as long as they want and theater version you know be fine i think that would be a great idea and it would suit everybody and be very fine and as long as warner Bros. is up to doing it i would have no complaints I completely agree with you. Andrew, did you have a final thought to add in before we move on? Yeah, well, I think that's the problem. I don't think WB wants to make a four- or five-hour movie. Think of the budget. I mean, you know, they're already spending... The the movies that are already out have broken records on how much yeah, money Goblet has of, been spent. Goblet of Fire is the most expensive movie ever. That's right. Yeah, so does WB really want to spend uh, another $100 million just to extend it another two hours? And it wouldn't increase sales or anything. So, um, I think... That's the problem. We, we also have a follow-up. If any of you have listened to episode one, we discussed the fourth movie premiering in, uh, premiering in the Philippines several days before everybody else gets to see it. And we had a visitor from the Philippines that emailed in to clarify this for us. And it's not because they're any more special than we are. It's because movies premiere on Wednesdays in the Philippines. So just to clarify that for anybody that was curious why they get the movie before us. And that was from Margarita. Uh, she's 19 and from the Philippines, so thanks to her. Now now sort of turning the subject away from the movies and turning the books into movies, in the, f- in the sixth book, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, we saw a death, Dumbledore died, and throughout the entire series, we've sort of seen, like in Order of the Phoenix, we've seen Dumbledore's Phoenix Fox come to Dumbledore's aid. But towards the end of Half-Blood Prince, when, Fo- when Dumbledore perhaps needed Fox most... Dumbledore, the fox was nowhere to be found. Jamie, what do you think? I think you can take this in two ways, but but clearly it's just a case of Joe messing with us. It fuels the, uh, did Dumbledore mean to die or did Snape kill him? If Fawkes knew that Dumbledore was going to die and that they planned it all, then he wouldn't help him because he, he you know, I think Fawkes, being as intelligent as he is, he, he would be in on the plan. Whereas if Snape was going to kill Dumbledore, he'd have killed him, you know, he killed him with the Avada Kedavra curse, and Fawkes knew that he was going to die anyway, so he didn't help him. So, even though it's, you know, it's an extremely nice topic to talk about, I think it proves that Dumbledore has died and that he won't be coming back. Also, you can link this to, to his portrait appearing in the uh, office. I think it's just one more way of Joe showing us that Dumbledore has died and he won't be coming back. Eric Skoll, do you have any thoughts? Do you think Dumbledore's really gone, and why didn't Fox come to his aid? Uh, well, well, I think he is gone, and I, I agree with Jamie. Then definitely the portrait and and the you know the white tomb, the whole all that 
the entire ceremony, really, for his funeral was a way of Joe getting across to Dumbledore, probably, you know, is gone, um, is at least dead, uh, will he be coming back, you know, who knows, there's, that's a whole nother thing, of course, you know, him, his symbol being the phoenix and the phoenix being reborn and all that stuff, but you can talk to portraits and that kind of thing, so even if Dumbledore has, has been gone, could, could Harry have perhaps a conversation with his portrait sometime in the future, or, you know, all that kind of thing. She hasn't quite explained portraits, uh, whether or not they know everything that their uh, live selves did or, or anything like that. It, it's a whole window of possibility. So I think that, yeah, Dumbledore definitely is, you know, dead, but is he gone? And that was the same thing with Sirius. And of course, of course, now with Sirius, she kind of has made the idea that, yeah, he's gone for good, um, since he hasn't done anything in, in book six or was very little mentioned. Um, but another reason, I, I don't think, I don't think Dumbledore wanted Fox, you know, to to be out there. Fox did his duty. Fox went out and cried uh, and did that song across the grounds for like an hour or hours afterwards. But for, I think it's for the same reason he didn't. He froze Harry. You know, he didn't he didn't want them to interfere. Whether or not he knew what was going to happen or he didn't, I think he didn't want Harry to mess up anything uh, that was going. Uh, on that night at the in the North Tower, and he wouldn't want Fox to do that either to do anything. Right. That back in episode, back in episode one, we discussed the portraits and uh, and if Harry will be able to communicate with Dumbledore's portrait. And Andrew, Kevin, and I basically came to the conclusion that it transferred over Dumbledore's personality, but not actually his like his knowledge and his brain and things. Just like the other portraits, you know, they they're characterized as being mean and funny. Andrew. Do you have anything to add about that? Well, yeah, I was going to say, the, the portraits never give any specific information. Like, the most you'll hear them say is, be quiet, I'm trying to sleep, or, you know, he went that way, or something like that. They never, they never give any real information, or can have talks with people. But can they? The fat lady might be a different... Right, but they may they may be able to acquire knowledge that they've that they've gained after they became that after they actually became a portrait. Jamie, what do you think? I was going to say that if all uh, headmasters and headmistresses of Hogwarts end up on the wall, then surely that's something away from what Dumbledore was planning after his death. I mean, like nearly headless Nick commented that people who want to become ghosts want to become ghosts, so that's their choice after they die. Whereas the uh, the process of turning into a portrait on the wall could have been just an extra thing that, that was happened to Dumbledore after his death. So we could still see him come back in some, some other form, perhaps as a ghost, perhaps perhaps in, in some, some other way. I agree with you, Eric. Did you have something to add before we move on? Uh, yes, just that. Um that would be very fine if, if Dumbledore, you know, if, if Dumbledore's portrait has no, you know, knowledge or, or intelligence that he had in his real life, I, I think that would even be fine as well, even fine in itself, because Dumbledore's personality makes Dumbledore Dumbledore. If, if, you, can, if you can feed a portrait uh, in, uh, information just to help Harry out any way you would need to, whether or not he remembers or is able to activate a pensive with more information or more memories... I don't think Harry needs that, but even just even just the personality of Dumbledore to talk to again would be very interesting. I completely agree with you. The debate is going to go on and on whether Dumbledore is dead or not, but personally I think all of you guys agree with me that Dumbledore is gone and that Harry is going to have to cope with his death. For more debate, we mentioned this site before, you can go to DumbledoreIsNotDead.com 
And this guy, this guy presented a very good defense for Dumbledore actually still being alive, but it sort of doesn't seem very plausible. We have plenty of other topics to get to, like I said, so I think it's time to move on. Many visitors have sent in a release date for Harry Potter and whatever for book seven for Harry Potter book seven being released on July seventh, two thousand seven, or seven seven oh seven because 7 has pretty much been the central magic number throughout the series. Eric, what do you think about this release date? Well, um, 7707 is a Saturday, so that really works out. <laughs> um, yeah, they could do a Friday night uh, release party on the 6th, and it could be released the 7th of July, 2007. It would be a brilliant idea, and I guess some people have, have thought of that. As for if it'll actually happen, nobody knows. I don't even think J.K. Rowling knows, because she's going to... I mean, she said uh, that she's going to begin writing at the end of this year, beginning of next, and sure, generally, you know, if it follows the same trend... Right, but, but she said that she was, she was shooting for our 2007 release date. So that could be any time in 2007. Right. So whether or not it's you know December or January or, J or July, I mean I, I would like you. it to be. I think it'd be very cool if it were July 7, 2007. But the books sure. have sort of followed this pattern of always being released during the summer. Like since the books have gotten really popular, they've always oh. been released in the summer. Harry Potter oh, four was and released July 8, 2000. Right. Uh, Order of the Phoenix the June 21st, and then Half Blood Prince July 16th. So it. it It'd make sense for it to be summer release date. Oh, of course. No, I was just saying January and December as as an, an exaggeration. But I mean, if it is going to be, yeah, if it is going to be any time during 2007, of course it's going to be the summer. And if it's going to be in the summer, then sure, why not make it July? So I think that'd be the perfect date. Um, though, of course, they they could have actually made it the 30th this year, which is uh, both Harry and Jake Eyre's birthday. They could have done that. It was just two weeks later. Um, that would have been a more plausible date at the time. I really don't know. I'm willing to wait and see. I would like it to be the 7th. That would be really cool. Jamie, you haven't had your say on this. What do you think about the release date theory? This book, uh, for me, is, I mean, it's very different from every other book. Uh, for, you know, 3, 4, 5, and 6, it was still part, it was more part of a book series than Harry's World for me, whereas book 7, I could wait 10 years for this. I wouldn't mind waiting 10, 15, 20, because, you know, it, it closes up an era, and... I want Joe to, you know, take her time and include, you know, absolutely everything that I want to know, and I don't mind waiting for that. But but the the release date for 2007, I think it's important just to point out that it's speculation at the moment. But a 2007 release date would be very nice. Andrew, did you have something else to add? Yeah, um, you know, why would it would be great if it was released on 7707, but I, I really don't think J.K. Rowling has that in her mind right now. Nor does she. She doesn't. She doesn't really care when it's released, as long as forget it. <laughs> she shouldn't though. J no, Andrew is is perfectly right. I completely agree with. You. She doesn't have that in her mind right now, which is what I was trying to say. She simply isn't thinking about it. And she said she would. She, she when asked if uh, if book seven will be as long or longer than five, she simply said, "I reserve the right to make it as long as you know I wish." And I as say, "You reserve that right. You go, girl." Is, yeah. is basically what I'm saying because. <laughs> I would like book seven to be as long as it has to be, as long as I never have to stop reading it. I mean, as Jamie said, he can wait 10, 20 years for this thing to finish because he wants it to answer all of his questions and all of his things, and I, I'd be perfectly fine with that. But I think people would... You know, and she just... I think people would... Oh, no, uh, people want it sooner rather than later. So sooner right. rather than later is, of course, better. So if she put it out on, you know, 6, 6, 
<laughs> you know, in June okay, of I'm 2007. Graduating. I am graduating on June. I am probably graduating on June 6th next year. Aw, congrats. Okay, nice. who cares? Don't, don't, don't bring up irrelevant crap. Like no, but that's terrible. Yeah. Would you want to graduate on 666? Um, Andrew, keep this in. All right, next next topic. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. There have been a, quite a few interesting theories about when the seventh book is actually going to be released, but as Jamie said, nobody really wants to see the end to the Potter era, and we really want the we really want to go on forever, you know. <laughs> so, oh, can I say something? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, <laughs> I'm sorry. D no, Ben brought up an interesting uh, point. He says we never want it to end. Well, yes, of course, we never want the book series to end. But even after the book series, we will have. You know, people ask me if MuggleNet's going to close after the seventh book is released. The answer is yes. You know, yes, we are closing. <laughs> What, we're closing? I'm not closing. I will be I am. with my caption contest and a stick. I'm not closing down, all right? The, po the point is, after book seven, you know, we still have all the movies to get through. We still have, as long as, I think, the actors have, as, lo as long as them and their grandchildren are, are alive and well, there, there'll still be news to report. And I, I, for one, I will be loyal to MuggleNet, and I will stay at MuggleNet until... Until there's nothing, until Harry Potter is forgotten. Okay, Andrew, all of, what, all of what he just <laughs> hey, said. Hey, wait, okay, um, that was good. <laughs> no, no, it was good. I'm going to keep it in. <laughs> the, the Pretty much what's left in the series, the key to the rest of the series, is Harry finding a way to defeat Lord Voldemort. And in order to do so, he must find the remainder of, I believe it's four Horcruxes, to destroy Lord Voldemort and eventually lead to the final battle scene. But Harry clearly cannot do this on his own. And many people, there's been quite a bit, quite a bit of speculation about actually who is going to be doing it. Jamie, what do you think? Um, it's important to like distinguish between two groups in, in in the books. Everyone talks of it being good versus evil, but I think you do have good, but then you've also got Harry's friends, and and there is a difference between those two groups. And I think it's going to be all of his friends who help him search for his Horcruxes, whereas uh, the good people in the book. Just continue the overall fight against Lord Voldemort, helping the Ministry and everything like that. So I mean, as a as a guess, and I don't want to commit myself because I'm sure I'll be wrong. Uh, I'd have to go for Ron Hermione, obviously. I think Ginny. I think she, in, in her heart, she knows she's going to help Harry, even even after what he said at the end of Half Blood Prince. And I hope that some of his fellow Gryffindors are going to help him as well. For perhaps, perhaps we'll see uh, uh, Dumbledore's army. A Dumbledore's army renaissance where we'll see all those people come back to help Harry because they know it's basically the only shot they have to save the world, you know. Eric, what do you think? Well, it's, Okay, well, uh, Jamie noticed, well, I, I don't think Ginny would be or even was upset with what Harry said at the end of book six. She, I mean, he said, I can't be with you, and she practically, practically said, screw that. Um, you know, she said, we're going to help you anyway. Um, and one of the points that I think Joe Rowling has, has tried to make in the books, and Dumbledore has made it to Harry on and on again, to even the point where in book six he's like, yeah, I know it's love. The, that's the thing. You know, Harry is, is special because he loves, and he's special, uh, and he's different from Voldemort because he loves. And if he decides to take this dark path alone and find all these horcruxes without anybody's help, he's not loving, he's not any of the things, you know, J.K. has said he was, and he's not realizing that, you know, if he would just let people in and help people like he has done with, uh, to an extent with Ron and Hermione so far, if he just lets them in, they can help him. So it's really a question of if Harry realizes, and as soon as he just realizes that, you know, then, then he can let people in, and I, I hope, I know Ron and Hermione will be the most likely, and I hope Jenny is too.
I agree with you, Eric. Jamie, you haven't quite had your say on this. What do you think? We uh, we mentioned before that uh, this is turning into a personal battle. You know, Harry versus Snape and Voldemort. And I think that I think that he feels you know, especially in Order of the Phoenix, that every single thing has happened to him, so it's his fight and his battle. So, I mean, I, I completely agree that he's going to have to accept help to find these things. You know, it, it isn't plausible that he's going to find every single Horcrux, destroy every Horcrux on his own. I mean, you know, you can see what happened, have, happened to Dumbledore's hand. And, and, and if Dumbledore, and if that happens to Dumbledore, think what it would do to Harry. So I think he's, he has to accept help. But, of course, in the end, it's going to come That's down right. to Harry versus Voldemort. But first of all, he has to, to realise that there are other people. Yeah, I agree with you guys. But we have to move on because we have some user-submitted voicemails to get to. But if anybody has a theory on the Horcruxes and who's going to help Harry search for them, you can go ahead and send it in a voicemail or send it an email. With that, Andrew, can you hit the first voicemail, buddy? Hello, MuggleVet. Uh, I'm Jared from Illinois, and I have a question regarding Dumbledore's confrontation with Voldemort. Why wasn't Dumbledore ever clear about how or why his hand was blackened and looked dead? Was he hiding something? I also would like to say, Kevin, I know you're not a girl. <laughs> um, Jamie, think, Jamie, you go ahead and answer this question. This is very interesting. I think this is a. Uh, I think this is Joe's way of kind of proving something about Dumbledore. I think it proves it for a few things. It's a uh, proof of his age that he isn't as fast as he was. It's proof of his mortality that he isn't invincible, as perhaps Harry had once believed. And it could be seen as a proof of his death, a death clue, you know, black being the symbol of death and everything like that. Uh, it, it, it also kind of links back to what we, what we were talking about, Harry being alone. You know, it's, it's making, it's sort of pushing him forward, all his anger and all his revenge. And I think that's going to have to come to a head at some point. And Dumbledore's black hand is sort of preparing the reader. Again, it's also preparing for the reader for the dark turn that the books are going to, I mean, the even darker turn the books are going to take. I think Jamie pretty much covered that for us. Eric, I know you're dying to say something about this. As for if uh, Dumbledore was hiding something from Harry, I, I, by not telling him about the Black Hand, I don't think so, um, because we all know he he was going to tell Harry, or at least he made it very clear that he wanted to. And uh, I don't think the fact that he didn't get to uh, was anything like if, is he hiding something from Harry? Because as we've realized, he doesn't really hide anything from Harry, especially now, um, in book six, he's, he's told him everything he knows, more than he did when he told him he was going to tell him everything in book five, and anyway, he just tells him everything, and you get the sense that Dumbledore might not have a spouse or anything, but he's telling Harry very, he's telling Harry everything he knows to defeat Voldemort, is pretty much what, so I don't think he's hiding anything from Harry, especially if his black hand has anything to do with it. Right, you, you both raise very interesting points. Like I said, we have to keep the ball rolling. Keep it going. So, Andrew, play the next okay. voicemail. Hi, I'm Sam from California. Nice show. And my question is whether it's a strong possibility that Hermione's cat, Crookshank, is Regulus Black in disguise. Uh, Eric, what do you think? Well, I'm happy in a way, because this was a very good voicemail in the, in the way that it didn't say, do you think Lily Potter is Crookshanks? I, around the time of book three, there were a lot of people, it's Lily Crookshanks, and it was this big thing. But first of all, Crookshanks is a guy cat, um, you know, if nobody's noticed that. Uh, but anyway, so I was very happy to, to hear this. Uh, Regulus as Crookshanks. Um, sure, I'm willing to, I'm, I'll be open to it. As for, I, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if it can be true. Uh, we don't know what happened to Regulus. Nobody really knows. Um, we don't know if Voldemort had, you know, killed him personally after all, or if 
it, it all stems down to how many people knew about um, the Horcrux, and if Voldemort had to tell them about the Horcrux to send them after Regulus and all this other stuff. We don't know the fate of Regulus, basically, and I think, I mean, sure, it's open, um, but I don't think there's any way that we can determine whether or not that's true. I mean, I'd be very interested to see... Actually, actually, if you look back to Book 5, Sirius tells Harry, when Harry's looking at the, at the Black family crest, that Regulus Black was killed by one of... by by Lord Voldemort's Death Eaters because he was a Death Eater, but we never actually heard what went on. Well, we don't know. So if he... I think I think it's pretty much set in stone that that Regulus Black is dead because they wouldn't know if he's dead or not. That's another but, thing. Um, so I think I think Regulus is dead, and that there really isn't any substantial or any proof whatsoever throughout the entire series since we started to see Crookshanks that it is an animagus at all. No, what I. Do you, what I'm do you think, Jamie? Pretty sure he's a Nezel, actually. Jamie, what do you think? Try Trying to think like Voldemort, um, if I'd split my soul into seven pieces and had six in uh, Horcruxes and w one of my own people, you know, one of my own friends, my Death Eaters, got one and tried to destroy it, I'd want to, to kill him myself. That's uh, exactly it. I'd, I mean, uh, Jamie's... Yeah. And, yeah, and uh, Sirius in Book 5 said that he, he, he thought the Regulus was good on Voldemort's orders. And, and uh, or, I mean, although you shouldn't take a character's word for it, you know, because you could be wrong, I think that... There's, I mean, I wouldn't call it conclusive proof, but I think it's something that tells us that the uh, RAB on the note isn't regulus. Hey, great show, guys. Um, I'd just like to have your opinion on that with the absence of the secret keeper, Dumbledore. Um, do you think the entire order is in danger of being found out? Um, I, I'll, I'll, hand, I'll handle this one. I feel that the order isn't in danger because, as Dumbledore said at the beginning of books of book five, I mean, excuse me, book six, that number twelve Grimald Place is no longer the headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix because it actually had already been found out. So Dumbledore was only the secret keeper for number twelve Grimald Place, and since number twelve Grimald Place is no longer the headquarters, then it wouldn't make much sense for the order to be found out. So th that's just my thoughts on it. Um, Eric, what do you think? Found out from who? For what? I the mean, Death Eaters. Well, from, from the Death Eaters in Voldemort. And well, from the Death Eaters, sure. But, I mean, the Order can... I, I don't think it's a terrible uh, threat. As you said, Dumbledore was the secret keeper for 12 Grimald Place. They could easily do the... Uh, um, Confundus Charm, whatever the uh, the charm was. Fidelius Charm. Fidelius Charm, thank you. Uh, they could do that just as easily again and, and find just another place. And, actually... If you realize, in the beginning, um, Harry said that the Order could have the uh, 12 Grimald place back, so if they needed a, another... they needed a place, they already had a lot of good protection, uh, besides a Fidelius charm, on Grimald place. Right, but I think I think it's pretty certain that once once the spell keeper dies, you, we noticed when um, yeah. Harry was immobilized by Dumbledore, and once he died, the spell was taken off. Oh, yeah. So therefore, n now number 12 Grimald Place is pretty much open to anybody that can see it. Well, not... But like like Eric said, another Fidelius charm could be performed in order to protect number 12 Grimald Place from any from outsiders. But then again, they'd have to be... They'd have to redistribute the slips of paper and things of that sort. Jamie, do you have any thoughts? I think that, I mean, you know, due to have handled uh, talking about the order being... Uh, the Order's headquarters being infiltrated, but I think, I mean, I think you have to consider the uh, possibility of the entire Order being in infiltrated, you know, their ranks, because throughout every single book, the the battle between good and evil has been seen as a war, and it, it doesn't really change that it's between wizards and, you, you know, in, instead of, like, World War Two or something like that, there were spies in that, so there should be spies in this, so I think that, 
it's a great big possibility that Voldemort is is going to get one person on the side of the order. You know, Snape. All of the theories about Snape prove that that, that at least it is a, pos- a possibility. So I think they're going to have to close ranks and make sure that they can't be infiltrated because. I mean, if if Voldemort finds out their plans, I think they're going to be finished before they begin. I agree with you. Um, I think it's time we listen to another voicemail so we can finish up the show here. Hi, my name's Yvonne, and I'm from Arizona. My question is about Ollivander. Um, the way I my theory on it is that he was taken by Death Eaters to Voldemort so that he can make another wand for Voldemort so that he can use against Harry so there won't be a problem like they had at the graveyard scene. The other issue is regarding book 7. I think it should be over a thousand pages or more because it's the final book and there's so many things that need to be answered, so many things that need to be done. You know, go out with a big bang, big book, everything. What do you think? Over a thousand pages. Whoa. Well, but um, first let's... Yeah, we, we, we've, we've, we've already sort of talked about like the length of book 7 and J.K. Rowling said it's going to be as right. long as it needs to be. But <laughs> excuse me. But back to your first question. I think that it is a quite an interesting theory. And Eric, Eric, what do you think about it? I think it's brilliant. Uh, the idea that that I I think it's definitely in Voldemort's character that he wouldn't want um, the same thing to happen uh, with his wand as as it did in the graveyard scene. I think it's brilliant. It's it's a great idea. Um, the question then is, uh, Ollivander himself, I believe, said that um, another wizard's wand won't perform as well as, you know, your own. And, of course, it won't exactly be another wizard's wand if Ollivander makes him uh, another one of his own. But then there's the other stuff about the wand choosing the wizard and things. I I think Voldemort's powerful enough that he doesn't need to worry about what wand he uses to cast, you know, his spells. I think it'll all go fine. Um, but then that's the question also. If if Ollivander has been taken uh, with Voldemort, has also Florian Fortescue, is that where he got off to? And, you know, you know what's going with that? Um... But basically, I think it's definitely Voldemort's character to probably not want the same thing to happen. Um, whether or not he'd actually get a new one made, you know, sure, I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, we, we'll just have to see. But we've seen that when Voldemort tries to fix a past mistake, he usually makes another one. Which is great. So, right. Like, but by not using... Maybe, <laughs> Jamie... Well, if he really... If he didn't have... You know, I think he needs the one that he committed all those deeds from. I think he really does, because if he uses another one, then it's just not... I don't know. It's not as marked. It's not as evil. It's yeah, right. It doesn't have the history that the other one has. And, it's, and I, I, I don't think that. I think when it comes down to it, that there's of course there's not to be another way to kill Lord Voldemort, and it's not going to be th- using his wand. You know, I mean, they have to find some other way. What I think would be kind of humorous, humorous, is if he pulled, if Harry put on some earmuffs, pulled out a mandrake, <laughs> and. Voldemort dropped that. You know what we I should do? Know, that? Just... No, at Mugglenet, we really should have 101 ways to kill Voldemort that won't happen in um, the books. Jamie, do you have anything to say about this? Lord Voldemort dying? Ollivander making him a new wand? What do you think? Doesn't it really reinforce the point that um, Harry and Voldemort are going to have to face each other? Because uh, Priori Incantatum in book five, sorry, book four, just the, the, the thing it proved was that Harry and Voldemort can't face each other you know, using the same one. So I think that Ollivander going missing and this brilliant theory that, that you know, that Voldemort stole him so he, so, so, so he can get, you know, the best wand off him could be just just Joe's way of telling us that Harry and Voldemort are going to end up fighting each other. But he's uh, he's stolen, 
Florian Fortescue as well, so, so, so perhaps he's planning to drown Harry in ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, should we take uh, one more question? Yeah, one more question. Hi, this is Michael from Singapore, and I'd like to congratulate MuggleCast for reaching the number one spot on iTunes. I would like to ask what role you think that the Ministry of Magic will play in Book 7. Thank you very much. What I think is that the Ministry of Magic is sort of being pushed towards the back of the line, because we notice how Harry told told um, Rufus Scridgemore that he's Dumbledore's man through and through, and he still is Dumbledore's man, even after Dumbledore died. So, the only, the only role that I think that I see the Ministry of Magic playing is getting in the way of of Harry's plans, and once again, it's a new Minister of Magic. We don't know how he's going to react to things. Jamie, what do you think? I think that they're going to have to play their administrative role still, because, you know, they're still a government. It's, you know, just just because there's all, all of this magic involved, it's, you know, they, they still have to put on a brave face to the public and try and sort things out against Voldemort, you know, so... But I completely, I completely agree with you when you say that they're just going to get in the way of Harry. Because I think it's you know his, his job to find all these Horcruxes. It's his job to be, beat Voldemort, which is be, which was emphasized by Dumbledore. That you know all this anger and all this uh, thirst for revenge has come into Harry. And I think that um, Scrimgore and the entire Ministry is going to be a hindrance to him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, the Ministry of Magic has done a terrible job of keeping up with everything that's been happening in the past seven years, so they have to just stay out of it now and let the smart people take control. Okay, I think that about wraps up Muggle, MuggleCast Episode 3. Andrew, did you want to go through some few, a few things before we finish up? Yeah. Um, again, guys, the response has been overwhelming with, with emails and just suggestions and questions and you know, voicemails. Uh, we appreciate everyone's support once again. And, um, guys, listen, we needed to talk. Everyone, everyone just, Ben, Jamie, Eric, everyone out there, just, just take a seat right now. Take a deep breath. <laughs> and listen. Um, guys, we really hope nobody's cheating for us on iTunes. Now, we've been number one, and that's awesome! But, nobody cheat for us. That's not cool. Right, Ben? We've... We've, right. We'll admit, we got a little bored being up at number one. <laughs> we wanted to slide down. The time of this recording, we're, we're at number four right now. But guys, it's, you know, there has been, it is possible to move up on that list on iTunes unfairly. But I think we have, we are up there because of how many visitors we have. And again, we do appreciate that. Um, also, uh, I don't think I told you any, any of you guys this, but everything you say will be held against you because we now have transcripts. Thanks to Micah uh, taking the time to write all these up for us. And these will be up usually um, a few days after each one airs because it does take a lot of time to transcribe these. Um, also, a lot of you have been asking for uh, some guy named uh, Emerson to show up on the show. I don't know who this guy is. Who's so that? Do you, do you know who that is, guys? Yeah. I, you know what? But... I, I hear of I've heard a lot of this one Emerson who's in college, so he can't exactly yeah. do it right now. Um, whatever, somebody can maybe tell me what who who is this Emerson? But anyway, um, also uh, keep sending in the voicemails to voice at staff.mongodet.com. Also, if you have any audio contributions, like maybe a song or a cool oh I don't know anything. If you want to maybe something cool to play on the show, 
and uh, that's about it. So yeah, if you if you right currently right now we're number four on iTunes. So hopefully by the time you guys hear this, we might be back up to number yeah. one. Yeah, have your friends so just I think, go. So I think go on other people's computers. Just go into your local Apple Store. Just hit subscribe on every computer you can find. But we don't want you to cheat. Don't cheat, <laughs> please. So I think that wraps up this week's edition of MuggleCast. If you have any questions and or suggestions, please visit MuggleNet.com slash MuggleCast or MuggleCast.com where you can view all of our contact information. Also, at those two, at those two locations, you can see information on how to subscribe to our feed, how to access us through iTunes, and how to see our show notes. Hopefully pretty soon we'll have a live debate for you um, about whether Dumbledore really is not dead, and there'll be a side that's the pro saying Dumbledore is gone, and a side saying no, Dumbledore is not dead, and also we'll probably mix in a Snape good or evil debate in there also. So I think that pretty much wraps up the show. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Andrew Sims. And I'm Eric Skull. <laughs> <laughs> I think we lost Eric, but. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's edition, and we'll hopefully see you all next week. Goodbye.